Good evening, Israelites. It's been a joy to be here. We've never been to a festival before. My son has, but I had not. And uh, so I've really enjoyed the time here. The cultural night was just wonderful. Brother Rob and your friend there, you're just outstanding MCs. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of talent coming up that are going to bless this church in the future. And I think that was revealed during that cultural time. And it's always a blessing to, to be involved in things with young people. And one of the most greatest part, I think, of being here is seeing the cross-section that you have of young people that love God, that are walking in the truth, and moms and dads that are there with excitement in their hearts as they see their sons and daughters serving the Lord. And, uh, you know, the idea that sometimes we can't teach an old dog anything new isn't true, because you're looking at one that uh, has learned some new things, and we've been blessed by it. And I really appreciated your message that you gave earlier today, and it blessed my heart. Thank you. You know, think about it for a moment when we look at uh, all the things that go on. Just the music alone in this church just blesses you, and the night of the blessing of the children, that was just something really, really special. And seeing all these, first of all, mamas that were expecting, and then babies who were here already, and then all of the others right up into teenage, uh, you know, what a wonderful thing it was. We kind of could have just kept on going, I guess, but uh, it would have taken a long time to get that done. I'm a, a person who is a reader. And I've had different uh, things brought to my attention along the way. And I've been growing. I'm still growing and still reading. And one of the books uh, that really got my attention was God Made a Racial Choice by this gentleman right down here. Thank you so much. And uh, documented, well documented. And when you begin to read that, you had to begin to recognize the fact that God gave us an unconditional covenant with Israel. And you can't spiritualize it in the New Testament if it's literal and it's racial in the Old Testament. So you have to carry it through. And then you have to come to the conclusion of who the individuals are. And when you're done, they're all white. And so another book, uh, Judas Scepter and Joseph's Birthright, by H.J. Allen is another. If you haven't read that book, you should read it. Amen. It's a good book. And uh, then our Israelitis uh, origins was another one that really got my attention by Wilson. And then the two seeds by Dan Gaiman. Amen. And the Sabbath controversy settled by Dan Gaiman. And they may go ahead and worship on other days and so forth, but if you're going to stay biblical in the end, you've you got the Sabbath, right? Amen. And uh, oftentimes we find others that have deviated from it, but the end result is that's what the Word of God teaches. Yeah. And we have to come back to one basic thing. Is this, if this is what the book teaches, then that is where we have to stand, Amen. or we have a God that's a liar. That's right. And if he made an unconditional covenant, we know for certain that he is going to carry out what he said he would do. And he said he's coming back. <laughs> We're going to see him face to face. He's going to set his kingdom up here on this earth. And uh, we're going to be a part of that. And I'll tell you what, it's getting closer and closer as we see the things that are deteriorating in this country. We're moved toward communism if we aren't already there. I think you can see that and you know that. But uh, we do realize that we have to stand fast in these last days. And we have to be standing on the truth when the end result comes down. And we can stand before the Lord and with God's grace that we might hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. And so we've gone too far to turn back. We've got to move forward. And we have to recognize 
that God will work in our hearts and in our lives if we will allow him to do so. If you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 50, I'm going to get there in just a moment. But again, I want to say thank you to the choir. I want to say thank you to all the special music. The brass ensemble, ensemble was outstanding. They just did a tremendous job. And uh, you're blessed. Amen. Now you guys are blessed because you got him. Because without him, probably there wouldn't be any brass ensemble. I don't know. So think about it for a moment. You have a very unique situation here. Don't take it for granted. Don't come to a point where you get used to it. Get on your knees before your God every morning and every night and during the day open your heart to him and allow him to speak to you that you might be able to take that truth and inculcate it into the hearts and lives of other people. And my wife and I, we had a pact that uh, we did not talk to one another in the morning until we had done our devotional time, until we had a time when we got down before God and prayed, and then we would come together and have conversation. Jesus first. Honor him. Put him first. And put him above all other things in your life. And God will begin to help you to be able to accomplish things that only he can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. In this message tonight, I want to bring some thoughts in regard to the making of a godly man. And I want to look at Joseph's life, and I'm sure that you've heard many good things already from your pastor on this, but they're worth repeating if they're in the Word of God, right? And so let's stand together. We want to read some verses together. And if you're in chapter 50, we're only going to read two verses. Let's read it in unison. And it'll be chapter 50, and we're going to read verse 19 and 20, verses 19 of, and 20 of Genesis chapter 50. Are you ready? Yes. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the promises in your word, that you are always going before us. And when we think of Joseph, of how you worked in his heart and in his life, we have this pattern that's been given to us that we can rejoice in tonight and say thank you that you're a holy, wonderful God that knows the end from the beginning. And even when we don't even know what we're doing, that you're directing our steps behind the scenes. Take our hearts tonight, O Yahweh God, and stir our hearts up and help us that we might once again realize the importance of taking your word and hiding it in our hearts that we might not sin against you and to bring joy and jubilation in your presence. We love you tonight and we pray that you'd bless each one that's here tonight. May we take this message to our hearts and help us as we enter to learn to go forth and serve in the world that needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. When we look at this passage of scripture, you can be seated, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you're a little more formal than I am. My guys, they know just to sit down. Uh, Napoleon said this, to have a good army, you have to be at war at all times. And to be a good soldier of the cross, you have to recognize that you're in a battle. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we know where the powers of darkness are and how we have to stand against it with truth. Now, we are certain also that we are going to have problems that come our way. And our problems have to be turned many times into a project to recognize that this, we're passing through the valley. And things are happening, but God is alive. He's working behind the scenes. And even though we don't see it, he's already taking things to where they need to be. And as the Spirit of God touches our heart and strengthens us, then we can walk in truth. So one thing that I think that really stands out in this teaching tonight 
is that God has a plan for your life. And he has a plan for my life. And we just have to get in touch with him and have our hearts moved upon by the Spirit of God and then have discernment and begin to live out the very things that God places in our heart to do. And when that happens, you begin to to live on the glory trail. You begin to rejoice in Christ Jesus. You begin to say, thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. Because he's going to do great and mighty things in your life. You know, sometimes I look at this world today and all that's going on, and it's a turmoil. You know, I feel like the little boy that's, that's looking up at his mother that's doing needlepoint. And the little boy looks at his mama and he says, Mama, he says, what are you doing? It looks like a big mess that what you're doing there, just a bunch of strings hanging down. And she said, well, honey, when I get done with this pattern, she says, I'll come up on, I want you to come up on this side and I'll show it to you. And when she finished that, she brought him up and it was a beautiful pattern that she had to crochet. You know, I kind of feel that way. God, it's a mess down here and everything's all messed up and so forth. And he kind of whispers back. He says, in the near future, I'm going to bring you up on this side. And you're going to be able to see everything and understand what's going on. And we need to have that, that uh, assurance tonight that God is the eternal God of this universe. He's the creator. He has made all things. He knows exactly what's going on. And we can rejoice in him tonight that he has promised never to leave us or forsake us, but also to direct our paths in all that we do. So when we look at this portion of God's word, and if you'll notice in chapter uh, 37, and in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse 8, And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams for, and for his words. Now, you know the story of how he had this dream, and they bowed down before his sheath. And now they hate him because he had the dream. They hate him because dad showed some partiality in the family. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? And that, that can be a problem. But here we find that that was the case. And so he begins to have conflict. You'll notice in verse 20, he goes out as his father asked him to go and see the brothers, And it says, come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. In verse 27, it says, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. We find here where he had to learn how to handle adversity. Adversity came into his life, and he had to respond to it. And now he has brothers that are, are very upset. The fact that dad loves him more, and he has these dreams, and now they actually are going to kill him. Now, I will have to admit, there's a few times I wanted to kill my sister. But I didn't. Uh, and I'm sure you've had some feelings, but th- this was serious stuff. This wasn't just a thought of, well, I'd like to to get even or whatever, they were going to take care of him, and they finally sold him into bondage. For I think it was 30 shekels of silver, they finally sold him. And uh, this adversity that came his way was a, for a purpose. God was shaping a man that he was going to use to change a nation You know, you don't realize the things that come into your life, the adversities that you feel and the things that you go through, you have no idea why God allows that in your life, but he has promised that all things work together for your good. And he is going to allow whatever that adversity or problem is to take you to the next level, to bring you to a place where you can understand better of what he desires for you. 
and uh, there has to be some tenacity. There has to be some willingness when you come up against this uh, pressure that comes into your life and the adversity that comes into your life to say, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what happens. I'm going to stay, be steadfast in the, in the avenue that God has placed me, and I'm going to do it. I think of the illustration of the old uh, farm in Oklahoma, and there was a lot of floods that went on. And uh, so a big flood came, and everybody went to the roof, got on the roof. And there was a little boy, he looked down, and he saw a straw hat go this way, and then he saw a straw hat go that way, and then he saw the straw hat come back this way. And he looked at his daddy, and he says, Daddy, he says, did, did you see this? Watch this hat. And he, he said, oh, he says, that's nothing, son. He says, that's old grandpa. He said he was going to cut the grass come, come uh, flood or high water. You know? <laughs> And, you know, that's determination, that's grit, that's getting in there, that's going beyond the extra mile, right? And, uh, you know, I would like to ask you a question tonight. What kind of adversity are you in right now? It might be in your home. It might be with children. It might be with government. It might be other different things that uh, church members that are giving you a hard time. Uh, and... I don't care where you're at or what church you're in, a pastor always is going to receive some criticism. Now, I don't know why they'd want to criticize you, because you're perfect, right? But uh, you're going to find some that won't like you, okay? That's just the way it is. Now, when you begin to look at this world, and you begin to be a little confused you ask yourself, where, where is all of this coming from? Now, I think there are several areas. My son brought this to my attention some time ago, and I began to do a study on it and begin to look at it, and I had to come to some conclusions in regard to these matters. And uh, first of all, we look at education. You know, what's going on today in education? Where is all this wokeism and all this other different stuff coming from? It's coming from the educational system. It's coming from the universities. And I'm going to tell you something. It's coming out of the seminaries. And we have a bunch of pastors that have sold out. And they want to have a numbers, and they want to have a bigger church, and they want to do different things, but they're taking doctrinal truths and setting them aside for the sake of numbers. And I'm going to tell you something. They're going to stand before God, and they're going to give an account for it. And if you're in a church like that, you have to get out of it because they're in a place where judgment's going to fall on the house of God sooner or later. And then media. You know, if you can control education, you can control the media, then you begin to mindset people. And especially when you have televisions. Because in their commercials and in the news broadcasts, you're being lied to. I'm going to tell you what I finally come to a conclusion on. We need to get rid of our televisions. Amen. We need to stop watching the media. Amen. And if we're, going to do, if we're going to do any kind of thing like that, we need to find conservative outlets That's right. and get on the internet and find something that is reliable. There are different things that I think that you can look at and get something a whole lot closer than what you're going to get on CNN or on Fox anymore. And, uh, you know, you, you look at this and you begin to realize, you get disgusted when you look at it. There's a common thread with all of these. Then how about Hollywood? You know, Hollywood is, is putting all this out. We ought not to be involved in Hollywood. And we're not going to be able to be good Israelites to honor God with our lives and be involved with things that are going to bring forth things that are just are not true. And putting in the wokeism putting in transgenderism, putting in all the other types of things that are going on in this world today and is being spawned, that we have to be exposed to it. Well, we are exposed to it by choice. Because you have to turn the television on, you have to go to the Hollywood movie, you have to go to the educational schools that are going to corrupt you. And I do believe that we've come to the place where we have to train our young people in ministry in the local New Testament church. And I think we need to stop sending them to the universities and all the things related to it. And I've been to a lot of higher education things. I won't get into it. And, uh, but 
when you get exposed to that, there's just a whole lot of things I've looked at and I have to unlearn them. Because they're not the truth. And when you begin to examine the truth, you begin to look at the truth, you have to say, that's got to go. I can't stand on that anymore. And uh, sometimes it's just because you're educated in the wrong place and you didn't allow your heart to get into the book enough to make the right decisions through studying the Word of God versus having someone gurgitating something for you to believe. Yeah. You can do the same thing here. You need to study to show thyself approved yeah. unto God. Glory to God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And I know that your pastor does all the time because I watch him on Rumble. He, he challenged you to go home and study the Word of God. He challenged you to, 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 to examine if he tries to put anything out new. And we need to do that, don't we? We need to realize no matter who it is, we need to, to, to study and to, to do so. And then you look at the Federal Reserve who control all the money. And uh, we asked ourselves, when you have the education and the media and the TV and the Hollywood and the Federal Reserve and all the things related to it, what is a common thread with all of that? Well, I think we have a common thread. The synagogue of Satan. The seed of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And we have Cain, Esau, Edomites that are controlling every one of these entities. And we are afraid sometimes to, to take that radical approach. <laughs> so we like to call them Edomites and we like to... And they are. And they are the seed of Satan. And that's why no good thing is going to come out of that. And that's why we find our nation has been mindset Amen. by the media and by Hollywood and by these other things. And now the hierarchy in this nation is controlling the Congress and the senators. And I don't know if we can have an election anymore that isn't going to be fair. Yeah. I think the last election was taken. Yeah. And uh, we look at that and we begin to realize that... There is a cabal in the upper hierarchy that's going on in the money people that are controlling this government and are controlling uh, many of the things that are going on in this world. Now, you don't have to agree with that if you don't want to, but I think if you'll study it out a little bit, you'll find out what I'm saying is accurate. And so he is in a position here where he is looking and he sees this adversity in his life. He doesn't have any answer for it. I'm sure it broke his heart that his brothers sold him. And now he is placed into Potiphar's household. And it's sad. You know, sometimes when we have adversity come into our lives, it's like the poem that I'm, I can't quote it for you, but it's, it goes in, in relationship to there's Two people walking along, and, and this person has the Lord by the hand, and he's walking along, and, and he says, yeah, but he says, Lord, there was a period of time there. He says, there was only one set of footprints instead of two set of footprints. And the Lord looked at him and says, yeah, that's when I was carrying you. Amen. You know, that's true, isn't it? There's sometimes that God has to pick us up and carry us when we get into this adversity situation, and we don't have an answer. We don't know how to... God takes care of that and overrules it. But, you know, he, we have our part also that we have to do. And so I guess we must look and ask ourselves, are we handling the adversities that are coming into our life with God's grace? Now, this is a, a strange thing if you look at it, and I'm, I'm kind of shortening this a little bit because I don't want to take a lot of your time either. But he had to learn something else. He had to learn how to handle prosperity. I want you to think about this a minute. You were touching on some of this today. You know, when you become prosperous, when you begin to have a little bit more, it's easy to come to the place that we begin to back off and we get focused on things. That four-wheeler and all the things you were talking about, it's true. You know, and I'd like to have a four-wheeler, I guess. I'm going to be 60, I'm 69, I wish I was 69. I'm going to be 79 in August. And I'd still, if he had a four-wheeler, I'd be driving one. And so, do something about that. Notice in chapter 39, it says in verse 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, 
the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, listen now, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, an Egyptian, and the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. <laughs> Thrown into captivity. But now God puts his hand on him in that situation, and he begins to prosper. He begins to move forward. And the blessings begin to flow in his life. And the master even looks and realizes there's something different about this Joseph. There's an anointing on this Joseph. There's a God in his life. And he saw that uh, all the good things were coming to his household because of the God of Joseph. And so we have times we have to learn how to handle prosperity. And a good name is to be chosen over riches. And one that begins to foster and begins to look. There's been a lot of preachers that have been, ru- been ruined, ruined, whatever that is, ruined uh, by them coming to a place where their church got large enough to have their salary and so forth. And they began to back off and no longer uh, are, are preaching straight and hard. And uh, they're willing to compromise because they want more money in the plate. I was talking to a brother. He said, I won't give the man's name, but, uh, but earlier we were talking about the fact that he came to a place where he says the Israel message is true, but he says, I can't preach that. He says, because if I do, I'm not going to be able to have the offerings that I'm going to need to have. And uh, you know what? I'd rather have the offerings complete, complete to buy, say, I got to go to work and I'm going to get a job rather than to be in a position where I'm going to compromise the truth of all God Almighty. And we've got a bunch of preachers that have sold out, preacher. Yeah. Prosperity has ruined them. And could I say to you tonight, dear friend, if God has prospered you and God has blessed you and he's given you financial blessings, be generous with it. Amen. You know, it's great to tithe, and I think you should, but you know what? I don't think that the people today with the prosperity that they have should stop at tithing by any means. No. I told a man one day, I said, I stopped tithing years ago. 25 or 30% is far more reasonable in my thinking to be able to, wouldn't you think? Uh, to be able to, to, to honor the Lord in that. You can't help give God. And when you begin to get an idea on that, you talk about prosperity, it's going to, more prosperity is going to come your way. And good things are going to come your way when you begin to honor God in it. Don't let prosperity ruin you. Don't let prosperity begin to take you out to the lake when you ought to be in the house of God. Don't let it come to a place where I'm dropping out of the choir so I can work some extra hours to have a little more cash. You know, the job that God has placed you in in the local New Testament church, be honorable in it, give your 100% devotion to it, and don't back up, and don't let prosperity bring you to a place where you become compromiser of the truth. And this is especially important for young people. I know you want to be successful, and I know that you want to move forward and accomplish the things that you need to do. You honor God, put him first, and do what you're supposed to do, and God will promote you. Things will come your way as he sees fit to work in your life. Don't try to just make it on your own. We need to have God's prosperity and his blessing in our life. And be in a position where we can honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of our increase. So he had to learn how to handle prosperity. Now, he's in Potiphar's household. He's doing great. He comes up with a problem. Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and says, I want him. And now we find a young man that's going to have to learn how to handle temptation. Temptation's going to come into his life. If you'll notice in, in verse 5, in chapter 39, it says, And it came to pass from that time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, and that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, and he left all that he had to Joseph's hand, and he knew not what he had, 
save the bread which he did eat, and Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I do this great wickedness? And notice what he says, sin against God. And uh, it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her. He kept saying, no, no. He went in one day and she grabs a hold of his coat. He runs out of his coat, out of the house. She keeps it and brings accusations against him. And which, in the end result, put him into prison. It's not an easy thing when you're standing for the truth and you have to go to prison. This man did it. And I've come close a few times. Uh, But, you know, I have found that when we honor God and do the right thing, and the right thing in this particular case was for him to say, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, there's a few men we could look at that were great men of God. They weren't as successful. Look at David. David made some wrong choices, didn't he? Temptation came, and he yielded. I'm going to say to you tonight, don't you think that you can't yield to temptation? We need to recognize and understand and ask God for help when we come under the temptation. And there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful not to tempt you above that you're able, but with the temptation also make a way for escape. And so when that temptation comes into your life, you should be looking around saying, all right, how do I get out of this? Where is my escape? Because God has promised that he would get you in a position where you don't have to yield to that temptation. You know, look at Samson, a great man of God, used in a wonderful way, and yet we find the temptation was too great, and he yielded. Cost him his life, didn't it? And so we must recognize and realize that we have to learn how to handle temptation. This is all the shaping of your life. And if you've been a believer, and your heart has been open to Yahweh, and you you have an anointing on your life, you know that there are times that when these temptations come into your life, that only by the power of God are you going to be able to say no to it. Say, what do I do? I run from it. Get away from it as fast as you can. And don't allow that to come into your, your presence over and over again. And so as you begin to recognize the importance and the power and being in a position where you are not going to put yourself in a position where you have to make those kind of choices. I had a man come to our church. His name was Jeffrey Ward. And he was a big man, huge white man, big shoulders, and a good man in a lot of ways when I first met him. And anyway, he came to know the Lord. He followed in baptism. But every day when he would go out, not every day, but every Sunday when he would go out, And we weren't doing Saturday worship. We were doing Sunday worship. And we were trying to honor the Lord. And probably if I had to do it over again, I'd change that too. There are a lot of things that have to get changed sometimes. But, you know, you come back and and as he would leave, he'd say, I need to come and talk to you. I got some things that are bothering me. And so he came into my office. He sat down. He started into his story. And I said, wait a minute. I says, if you're going to confess a capital crime to me, I want you to know right now, I'm going to have to turn you in. I'm not carrying this. You're not going to dump a bunch of stuff on me and then put me in a position where I have to think about it the rest of my life, which you did and didn't do right. Anyway, he confessed a double murder of a 40-year-old woman that he took, and he got involved in a rock music band in Norfolk, Virginia, and got into drugs And he landed up taking this woman, and I won't give you the details on it because you don't want to hear it. But he murdered her and threw her in a dumpster. And then he took a young teenage girl and did the same thing with her. She pled for for her life. 
there in his apartment. He described that to me, and, and it was just a, a terrible, terrible thing. But if you really find true repentance in your life, you've got to do something with it. And so he went back to Norfolk. He turned himself in. And tonight, Jeffrey Ward's doing 140 years in Norfolk prison for a double murder. But I believe he found repentance in Jesus Christ. And so that's so important, isn't it? To come to a place where we can honor the Lord and when we do know the truth, that we turn away from the negative and the sin that's in our life, and we ask God to forgive us and to cleanse us and re- repent of our sin. Yes, sir. Not to go out and repeat it over and over and over again. And uh, we are to be growing in grace, that we might not groan in disgrace. So think about that for a moment. Now he has false accusations. And she says, he raped me. And takes the cloak that he was wearing. And her husband looks at it, becomes very angry. And we find now he lands up in prison for a crime he did not commit. You could say, well, Lord, if you're if he's honoring you and he's putting you first on all that he does and so forth, why would you allow this to have? God had a divine plan that he was working to make him a godly man and to set him up to be able to, as the verses in chapter 50 told us, that he was going to, to, to deliver his family and all of uh, Egypt in the end. So another thing you have to learn is how to handle false accusations. And uh, the truth is, you can take time to read it, verses 14 uh, to 20. And the truth is that there are going to be people that will bring false accusations. Be careful what you believe about your pastor when you hear somebody repeat something. You know what I used to do when they'd come and they would bring some gossip or they were going to want to tell me about this? I'd say, all right, I'll tell you what. You take me by the hand right now and let's go see John right now. And I says, we'll sit down with John, and you can bring your words in front of John. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, you don't want to do that because you're an old gossip. And probably what you're saying is not the truth. And so don't, don't allow yourself to get caught up. And if someone says something against your preacher, take them by the hand and take them to the preacher. And say, all right, let's talk about it. And I'll guarantee you they won't want to. Because what they want to do is they want to sow discord. And this woman wanted to ruin Joseph's life. Any normal situation, that probably kind of would have been the situation, right? You would have said, wow, how is that going to work out? So he had to learn how to handle false accusations. And uh, notice what it says here in chapter 39. In verse 18, it says, And it came to pass as... I lifted up my voice and cried, then he left the garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, and he was wroth and was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. And the Lord, and the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that was which he did, and the Lord made it to prosper." So here he is, he's in prison, but God says, I'm going to promote you in prison. I'm going to put my hand on you, and I'm going to put you in a position of favor. And there was a reason that Joseph had to be in prison. He is going to be promoted to second in the kingdom. How is he going to get there? How is that going to be a reality? He's got to come before Pharaoh. How is he ever going to get before Pharaoh? 
Here he is, he's in the prison, and now we have a couple of prisoners that have a dream. And I'm going to go into all the dreams because it'll take too long, and I don't want to infringe on more of your preaching time. But when we get back to that, we begin to realize that he interprets the dream for both of them. One is hung, and the other gets back, being the king's cupbearer. And he said this and, uh, in chapter 40. He said in verse 14, he says, And think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. And so here we find he says to these individual, or actually the one man that is going to go back to the Pharaoh, he says, when you get back there, he says, tell the Pharaoh about how I took care of things here. Well, we know the Word of God tells us in verse 23, and he did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, now the Lord's going to cause some other circumstances to come up. Pharaoh has a dream. And now it's years have passed. I mean, think about it for a minute. Here we, he, he interprets this dream. He says, thinks that, that he's going to hey, come before Pharaoh in the future maybe, but he's got years still that he had to spend in prison. I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I think it was 14 years that he spent in the prison. And so now he's in there, and now the butler that's back with the Pharaoh Pharaoh has this dream, and uh, he says, I'll tell you what, he says, I had a man interpret my dream. And all the magicians and all the people in the kingdom couldn't take care of it. So God arranged it for uh, Joseph to be able to come before Pharaoh. And he comes before him, and he interprets the dream. And the Pharaoh says, well, you know what? He says, because you remember the dream, it was going to be seven years of famine, it was going to be seven years of of the good times, the good first, and then the famine would follow. And he says, all right, we need to put somebody in charge of this. And they said, well, here's a man that God seems to be with him and so forth. He said, I'm going to put you in charge of it. And he put a, a silver chain on his neck. He took the signet ring, put it on his finger. He says, you are second in command in Egypt. Amen. And God put him in a position of power, not just position of prosperity, but of power. And now the story comes, and famine comes, and his brothers come to get uh, some vittles and some different things from the storehouse, and they don't recognize their brother. And in the relationship of this, we begin to realize the power of God as he begins to bring the dream that Joseph had had as a young boy the teenager, to pass. His brothers come in, and I won't go into all the stories and so forth that went back and forth, but finally, uh, Benjamin had to come and, and be there with uh, Joseph, and Joseph kept him aside. He says, you go back. He finally revealed himself to his brothers, who he was, and you go back and tell Jacob that his son Joseph is alive. And so he did that. And I like what it said in, in the, the Word of God, where it said that he sent wagons, probably with big white horses, and pulled them up with all the provision and so forth. And uh, they, they told him, Joseph, your son is alive. And it said in the Word of God that the old man of God got revived. <laughs> when he saw the wagons, and he realized that his son really was alive, and he lands up going and honoring the Lord in the process. So he had to learn how to handle the broken promises of those that he had dealt with, and finally he gets in the place where God now has him, where he can make a difference in the lives of all these people. His whole family is saved. They bring the whole family to Goshen. And God honors it and blesses it. 
You know, I think of how when he finally got there, Joseph brings his two, two boys, brings them before the Lord, I mean before Jacob. And uh, the eldest Manasseh and Ephraim the youngest. And the old man of God crosses his hands and puts his head upon the youngest. And he gives a declaration that he is going to be of a nation and nations and kings. And Manassas would be a nation, a great nation. Now it's very interesting when you begin to to study this out, and I don't have time, I'd like to really get into this and take it along, but it would take too long. But the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian nation, as they went north and west, became the ten tribes were scattered abroad after they rebelled against the Lord, allowed all the evil things to come in, and false worship, and uh, but the end result was we find that from Ireland to Denmark to England, and finally Manassas, I believe, is probably the United States of America. And God gave an everlasting covenant that he said that he was going to work through his seed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he did just that. And so we praise God when we look at that and realize the importance of how he had to learn to handle time and eternity. And you and I have to learn how to handle time and eternity. We are going to use it properly for the glory of God, or we're going to be in a position where we're going to come and say, I wish I'd done differently. Measure your heart, measure your life, and put the Lord first. And never doubt this, God has a plan for your life. As you meant it, and thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as this day to save much people alive. God doesn't deserve our leftovers. God deserves our very best. You know, I think of the man in India who was sitting by the side of the road, and he had a cup in his hand, and he had just a few kernels of rice, and he was moving the rice around. He was right near the Maharaja's home. And he said, I'm going to just eat these few kernels of rice and die, I guess. I, I don't have anything else. And so he said, oh, if just the Maharaja would come. If he'd come out, he could help me. And a little bit later, the Maharaja did come with six white horses and a wonderful carriage and so forth. And, and he's thinking, if he would just stop here, if he would just stop here. And finally he did. He stopped right in front. He comes before the slave. And he's all excited. The slave is, he says, the Maharaja is going to help me. And he looked at the, at the slave and he says, what's that you have in your hand? He says, it's just a, a few kernels of rice in a bowl. He looked at him and he says, give me some of your rice. He pulled back and looked, give me some of my rice. This is all I've got. I'm going to eat this and then I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, do you love me? He says, oh yes, Maharaji bows before him. He says, then give me some of your rice. So he kicks one kernel out and hands it to him. And the Maharaja looked at him. He says, give me some more of your rice. He finally took another kernel out and gave to him. Then he pulled back and said, that's all I'm going to give you. Maharaja got in and so forth. And miraculously, as the slave sat down and began to do this, he looked down and there was a gold nugget. And then another gold nugget. And for every kernel of rice he had had, miraculously, two gold nuggets was in the, the thing that he was holding. And here's what he said. Oh, I wish I had given him all of it. You know, God puts a lot of things in our hands. And we have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm just an instrument in your hand. You use me any way you want to. Take me and use me for your glory and so forth. And I hope that when you get before the Lord, you won't have to say in your heart, oh, I wish I had given him all of it. Amen. The making of a godly man and a godly woman. Take time 
when God allows these different things to touch your life, to learn, to grow, and to honor God, and not to allow yourself to get drifting along, but to say with your whole heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is Lord of all, isn't he? And if he's not Lord, he's not Lord at all. We need to be willing to be willing. God loves you. God loves this church. He loves the work that's being accomplished in the hearts of these young people and all of the people that are congregants here. Don't compromise it. Don't give it away. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Pray for your pastor and honor him as he honors the word of God. And the end result will be You'll hear the words, well done, thou good and graceful sir. Let's bow our heads for you just a moment. I don't know tonight if you would just take a moment to look inside for a second. And just ask yourself, is there anything that I need to address and change? Maybe there have been adversities, problems, you've not done well in them, and maybe you could say, Lord, I need to ask you for forgiveness. I need you, Lord, to help me to repent and to open my heart fully and completely to you. Because you know when you hear preaching and teaching, the difference between teaching and preaching, preaching brings us to decision-making. To take what we've heard, what we've learned, and make application. And God wants you to be able to have his blessings and guidance in all that you do. Father, how we praise you and thank you for the great God that you are. And thank you, Lord, for Joseph that we can look to and see how you worked in his life, how you honored him. Because you had a divine plan. You were going to deliver a nation. And you were going to be true to your unconditional covenant to take care of all the things that needed to be accomplished to see the two adopted sons of Joseph Ephraim and Manasseh to go across the waters and to take the white race to that community and through the world. And I pray, Father, that you might help us, that our lives would be honorable, that we would walk in truth, and in these last days we would take time to humble ourselves and allow you to lift us up and to bring honor and glory to your name. Bless this work of Christ in this spot. And bring glory to your name, Lord. And we thank you for it in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.